Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book publisher and magnificent man, Max Gadney, about what comics he would take into an artificially intelligent robot uprising apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, the Comic Scene Comic Club, available from just £5 a month or £30 a year. You can get monthly issues of the History of Comics, Shift, Brawler and specials of Pat Mills's Space Warp. To find out more and subscribe to the Comic Club, visit comicscene.org. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Max Gadney. How's it going? Hi, Sam. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great. Thanks. Absolute pleasure. Um, and, uh, I mean, we, 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 we've we just been having to do the old uh, microphone juggle <laughs> in, in preparation <laughs> for this, which, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, technology can just be really prickly sometimes, can't it? It can, it can, and I've, um, yeah, kind of had a bit of a wrestle, as you say. I've got all these excellent microphones laid out in front of me and actually sort of reverted to the one I play computer games with. So hopefully, though, I'm not <laughs> going to get too distracted or sort of like start kind of getting too much twitch, twitch muscle. I'll, yeah. stay, I'll stay on topic here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and uh, for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet, um, what do you do in the world of comics? So I run a new publisher called Story Worlds, and... Story Worlds has just got um, three new books out. Um, a UK independent UK publisher. Um, so three new uh, graphic novellas have come out um, the past few months, and we've got another two coming out in January. And it's sort of multi-genre um, stories of horror, sci-fi, magic, and so forth. Um, we have one story out at the moment: United States of Magic. Another is Fab, all about a world of three D printing gone insane. Um, mm-hmm. So it's quite you know you'll, you'll hear some of the influences that we've got. Um, but it's, what's really interesting is also working with um, you know, new writers, new artists, and all the rest of that stuff. So that's, that's cool. That's really exciting. Um, and um, where where did all this come from? It, Why did you want to start a publisher? It's, well, <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite an undertaking, isn't it, Max? It's, it's quite an undertaking. I mean, I've run a business before. I mean, um, you know, I, I've, I've run a design company before doing this for you know. 10 years or so before that yeah. I, was, I worked with BBC for sort of around 10 years. So I, I knew a bit about media and produ- producing things um, that was mainly all digital, but I've always been fascinated in comics and I've always loved them. You know, I've, you know, you'll hear the influences, yeah. but you know, 2008, obviously I'm British comics, comics person. Um, 2008 is a massive cultural influence to me and, and most other people. I think my, I'd say that people my age. Um, so I've always been interested in it. And it just struck me that the, sort of, the time is right kind of now to try that. I think comics is a re- in a really um, interesting place in the, in the world with sort of digital still trying to, you know, make its presence felt. I think there's a lot of foment with the big major publishers. I think, you know, DC mm-hmm. are trying some really interesting format stuff, webtoons and their, um, you know, 64 page books. Marvel don't really have to try much new because they've got all the money. Um, but I think you're seeing a lot of interesting stuff underneath and, and the comics is, you know, it's a place where bright ideas can shine brightly very quickly, like a sort of punk rock songs. And yeah. it's not—I don't—I don't go into the graphic novel bit. I, I think, you know, it's not Proust and it's not—it's not you know, Dostoevsky. These are comics, and that's okay. Yeah. I think that's—I um, 
And that's Absolutely. really what we want to do is those bright ideas that shine brightly is, is what we're interested in. I love that. That's a, that's a really good way, way to put it. Um, and uh, specifically for story worlds, um, you're, you're going down the graphic no- novella yeah. publishing, yeah. aren't you? Um, can you explain uh, the, the rationale behind that choice? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a few different things. Um, mainly, I think if you look at the sort of, and what I'll do while we're talking, I know this, your, your interviews, um, you know, with the other artists I've heard and writers, you know, people sort of mention stuff, they mention comics, and might mention a few other influences. Um, so I'll f- throw in a few books as and when, but there's, there's a few books written about the idea of the attention economy, um, which is, you know, the, th- the thing that as, as us lot wandering around with our eyes and ears open, um, you know, do we do we spend those eyes and ears on f- Facebook or Fortnite or what? Um, mm-hmm. And comics have struggled to compete. Yeah, and, and so as a British person, sort of seeing, you know, as an as interested in the industry, seeing the obliteration of British comics basically by computer gaming, um, <laughs> we weren't ours weren't strong enough cultural figures. It turns out you've got to be have the IP of you know Silver Surfer and Spider Man to be able to withstand that stuff. Which is why I think the American market, and also it's so entrenched in the direct market, those. Um, I, I personally think the American market got too niche when it took comics off the newsstands and took them into comic stores. But actually, that was almost a sort of fight in the bu- that was almost sort of getting into the bunker to fight video games. You know, it almost sort mm-hmm. of created them a really sort of um, Spartan sort of fan base of militant comics people who only liked superhero stuff, and that was good enough to withstand computer games. Um, yeah. We didn't have that here. So anyway, I think these media um, that that comics are need to be. I think periodical comics, monthly comics, 22 pages, um, are hard to, um, you know, hard to gain an audience with, I think. You know, you've got to kind of wait till next month and all that kind of thing. I, I just, I'm not sure people have got the time to invest, that time to invest in waiting for the new, the new stories which we're releasing. So this is why I thought learning from Europe, learning from, you know, the Bound Dessine, the Tintin Asterix and like all that mm-hmm. stuff, Blueberry, you know, you, over there you'll get albums of comics in sort of, 56 to 64 pages and all in one read a bit like binging a netflix series basically um it's you know other other publishers if you look at tko they're releasing a ton of stuff all at once um yes. so i think people are sort of responding to these attentional headwinds um because as i said you know if comics can burn brightly and do a really impactful job then give them the time and space to do the impact don't wait them wait for the make them wait for the punchline like oh, next month um so also if you make something that's 64 pages, you can give it an ISBN barcode and then it can go on Amazon, for instance, uh, or in bookstores um, and be sort of more permanent than just the ephemeral pamphlets that are the periodicals. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got like, well, I used to have tons. I have no room for them now, but, you know, I used to have tons of monthlies. But, um, you know, I think you're seeing in the industry a drift away from, certainly DC, drift away from the monthly periodicals to maybe digital, you know, digital monthly digital adverts in, in comic book form for the larger trade paperbacks as and when they come out. Um, but you know, who knows? There's, there's so much going on in this. I mean, there's a, there's a great, um, anyway, yeah, a lot going on. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and where, where, where did the, uh, the name story worlds come from? I think it's, um, where does story worlds come from? I mean, I've, I've heard the phrase kind of kicking around, you know, if you read about sort of media, um, there's this concept of, you know, multimedia, transmedia, multi-platform, whatever you call it, you know, ideas that can leap across different channels. I mean, Disney yeah. do this very well and have done for years. Um, yeah. uh, but, you know, the sort of stuff like Lost and um, various other these things, it's not just something where there's a computer game or a film of the game, but, you know, some properties, um, they leap across these different ideas. But at the heart of it is a, and what they create is a story world, um, a sense that, you know, there is a, 
a large corpus of sort of ideas and events that are, mm-hmm. are sort of linked somehow. I mean, at the heart of it, there needs to be an interesting story um, and, and some people. Yeah. At the heart of Game of Thrones is, you know, the, the brother and sister um, having <laughs> having um, difficulties. <laughs> just thought about your PG-13 suggestion earlier. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think, um, yeah, so story worlds, uh, I think it's that's what, and that's what we want to do is kind of you know, tell these stories that are, we're working out how they might be linked. We don't want to contrive a joined universe because not all the stories will be linked, but it's nice if things are because people like that sort of guest out when that happens. Fantastic. No, I think it's a great name. Um, and it really, it really struck me um, when I, when I first came across it. So I think you've done a, done an outstanding job there and uh, best of luck to you, Thank you. For, the, for the future. Um, and uh, with that in mind, where can people find you online? So let's go to, um, www and then storyworldsmedia.com um storyworldsmedia.com and that will show you all the titles we've got coming up um we've got out right now and then the titles coming up we are adding to them slowly um when we have um when we have new distribution channels so if we're on if we put mm-hmm. something on comiXology or on amazon uk amazon us um you know retailers can find the diamond codes they need their that sort of thing um or we're, uh, yeah or at Storyworlds on Twitter at Storyworlds then underscore, um, which is slightly clunky, <laughs> clunky <laughs> little tail on the end of it. Um, but yeah, yeah. So Storyworlds Media on the on the web. Fantastic, and of course, all those links will be in the show notes, folks. So go check out Storyworlds whilst Max and I are speaking. Um, now, all of that aside, um, unfortunately, I got some bad news for you. Yeah. Um, and, and and whilst we've been busy. Um, dealing uh, with the pandemic for the past 18 months. And AI has been secretly uh, plotting against us um, and has decided to uh, rise up against us. Um, and uh, my first question for you is, what is your action plan for a uh, artificially intelligent robot uprising? So... Um... So I have thought about this for a fair few years. I, I used to be the sort of, um, yeah, 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 you know, one, one of them, really. Um, <laughs> I mean, what data points do you need? Um, well, I, weirdly enough, I was, I think, so not this pandemic, but the previous swine flu, mm. um, the previous swine flu was um, my wife was pregnant with my, with our son, and I was very oh, worried um, yeah. because, you know, it's sort of all this stuff and, Men sort of slightly lose control a bit when that stuff's happening because the woman's in charge of the situation, carrying the baby and all. And, and at one <laughs> one night, I went with some friends to a um, survivalist lecture given by an SAS trooper called Lofty Wiseman. He used to be on TV in Britain. Um, he's not the sort of modern bearded sort of extreme sports kind of special forces guy. He's very much an old school sort of, you know, old school <laughs> sort of guy. Looks like a sort of I mean, it just looks like an old soldier, really. And he gave a really funny talk. But that was it was one of the points he gave was about um, highly calorific food being good. So so um, yes. corned beef and honey was the thing. Yeah. And I worked out nice. basically on the way back from work, I worked out how much corned beef and honey me and my wife, unborn child, my wow. sister and her husband and my mum being a bit shorn of the dead, you know, um, <laughs> would need for a month should this swine flu bring us all to our knees. And it's roughly about five and a half thousand pounds worth. Um, wow. So that's that on calories. Um, yeah, yeah, there you go. I, I, I'll throw in one point before I answer your question. One point was also that during COVID around April last year, mm. um, I was fairly busy starting up this comics business, of course, but I did also have a look online to see how, 
how crossbows were selling, just as yeah. you do. And they nearly all have sold out, which, yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, they really had nearly all sold out. It wasn't just like harder to get. So, you know, crumbs, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think, um, so I think the whole thing's likely to be in Britain anyway, because we don't have any guns, thank goodness. Um, more, a bit more like a pub fight, really, than I think the sort of road warrior sort of tactical approach of, you know, just Americans walking around with M4s and rails and stuff like in Black Summer, which is awesome. I don't know if anyone's into apocalypse zombie stuff, but Black Summer on Netflix is a very good lo-fi version. Um, so the AI apocalypse will be essentially, it's not a, I don't think it's an extinction level event um, no. because unfortunately it's kind of happened. We're prototyping it already with Facebook <laughs> And Google, yeah. and the and the result is that we are going to be fighting a spectrum of people who are either very stupid, yeah, because they've just been reading stuff like jumping out of high windows gives you more strength, um, or whatever <laughs> they've been, whatever rubbish, idiot rubbish they've been reading online on Facebook. Basically, that's who you'll be fighting. So I have every confidence I'll be fine. Actually, um, I think the danger is when those people organise into something um, when they're when they're when they're reasonable, rational faculties. Um, totally depart them and like you see you know every 50 years on earth unfortunately um, and we you know we've, we've escaped it this time around but you know I do yeah. think that you know a, a, a strong oh. evil leader <laughs> can get hold of people who have idiotized themselves and actually have scared themselves in a sort of mass sort of psychogenic illness which I think you see in these hysteric times like in Cambodia or Nazi Germany or whatever so you know mm. at, at best we'll be fighting idiots and it'll be a bit like that idiocracy film um, but I will have a pen knife <laughs> and at worst it will be fighting something that's kind of um, techno Nazis and that wouldn't be any good. And I don't mean that um, like no. EDM types. I mean like proper you know, AI ones. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, the future is bleak. Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I'm into it. I mean, you know what? Yeah, go on. Say, what are you going to say? Go on. No, no, I was just going to say, so <clears throat> if, um, if you are going to have to, uh, fight, fight Nazi robots <laughs> with a pen knife. Uh, what's your actual plan for survival? Um, my plan for survival is, I think, um, I think just keep, kind of keep. Uh, I'm not sure it's robots, is it? Is it robots? I think it's just humans, and I, I think I do. I really do think that robots yeah. will. Yeah, I, I think that robots. Um, I think robots won't happen in time. Yeah, this is likely to happen before robots happen. And I think that, well, the second part of that, I guess the closest thing I've got to thinking about this is the second part of my plan after sort of living on corned beef and honey with my sister and my mum <laughs> um, was to move, shift over to um, a place where there might be boats um, in East Anglia in the UK, because you've basically got to get out of Britain because it's too small, um, yep. and sail over um, that bit of water to the um, Nordic archipelago basically, and find an island, Fantastic. find an island, do some fishing, yeah. Yeah? get some walnut, chunky walnut, chunky walnut sweaters and, you know, dark nice. dramas and yeah, all that. Oh, lovely. Great. So you've, you've managed to make it over there with, with all of your family, um, yeah. just living off of corned beef <laughs> and honey. Um, but uh, now you're starting to get a handle on, on fishing. Yes. Um, in your in your lovely knitted jumper. Very much so, yeah. I can't <laughs> grow a proper beard though, so that's not, that's something I'll never be able to um Oh no. Master. Well maybe somebody could knit you one and you can pretend. I'll have to. 
Yes, a beard. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in the same camp. I, I can't grow a proper beard. I can only do the goatee. Most people can't. There's is, a study in the war. Weird. The SOE, oh, really? an SOE colonel, because they used to parachute spies in, obviously. I mean, male yeah. spies. Um, yeah. Although we'll get to this, and I wonder if my great auntie might have been a spy in that. Anyway, but I'll tell, I'll tell you why yeah. that's appropriate to all this comics later. But anyway, the um, the um, they used to parachute male spies into France, obviously, and part of their disguise, they didn't really have much stuff, was to... You go in with a beard, you appear in one village, get seen, and as you're running village to village, you cut off your beard a bit. And so you look different mm-hmm. on the next village. That was one of the very sats kind of disguises they had. So they had to basically work out, well, who can grow beards and who can't. So a colonel sat on a boat going from Liverpool to New York in the war, yeah. measuring 101 men's beards. And yeah. out of them all, basically only about 27% could grow a proper beard. And everyone else had weird sort of degrees of patchiness and inconsistency. One guy was judged to have had, in his quote, this is in the SOE handbook, um, one guy was judged to have a, quote, a bad beard Elizabethan in appearance, which is, you know. <laughs> Quite a description. Quite yeah. a description. Well, judgmental, you know. So, <laughs> 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 judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't seen Blackadder or something like that, but, you know, yeah, anyway. So I, yeah, um, it is, isn't it? It's yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's it's kind of good to know. That um yeah we're we're in the majority not not being able to grow grow uh, full beards yes um but uh, yes so um one evening um and uh, during winter let's say um well as we're going into winter um you've got a, a fire going uh, in the in the heart of the home that you've built um you've managed to build a nice solid <laughs> stone stone house Excellent. um with your family um and uh yeah the the subject of story worlds come comes up and you know perhaps what you would have done if the world was still um uh together <laughs> yes and, but uh and and then they actually get into the conversation of comics themselves and you know the the comics that influenced you um and then the first question they ask is what's the first comic you remember enjoying because that's what we'll do because basically in this little crofting cottage or whatever they're called we'll replay our last sort of few years of experiences and i'll be saying do you remember that talk i did with that sam george guy (laughs) and they'll say (laughs) and i'll say i'll I'll make them memorize it and i'll make i'll make my son be sam and it'll be a bit yeah. mad. It'll be a bit sort of like castaway <laughs> talking to a, talking to a coconut who's meant to be you or something like that. <laughs> um, first comics. Um, so the first comics for sure um, were two, was two thousand AD. You know, I lived in. Um, I was born in West London, um, in the UK, and um, in this road and on this place in the late seventies on the King's Road was where punk rock, British version anyway, um, had started. Yeah. And so being pushed around in my pram, you know. I could see all these <laughs> punks, these early punks, Malcolm McLaren's folk, you know, down the King's Road. And also it's the OPEC oil crisis and London was full of people from Saudi Arabia. So you had all these right. guys in this sort of like um, Saudi Arabian sort of like, you know, just um, traditional costume and stuff. And so, you know, this was all kind of quite new to a sort of four-year-old being pushed around the pram. And so I sort of, I think the only reaction is to reach in the newsagent for a 2000 AD with Ant Wars on the cover. And I remember that sort of, it had Ant Wars on the cover. It was that sort of, die ant <laughs> that's awesome you know human yeah. I, I can't remember the origin story but you know go figure giant ants so that made total sense um at the time um grew into a long love of everything 2008 did we'd cover a few bits of that later on also um and and then we we left um london to go and live in the states at some point and i remember this 
I remember the sort of like the detail and different world of all the adverts in a Marvel comic I was reading. I think I was reading, you know, I was reading some Marvel Spider-Man or something on the plane, but all those adverts and those weird little small ads they had was as much a new world and a colourful world, I think, as the actual comic. Um, so that was kind of interesting, as was when I got to the States. I think the best thing of all, this is why, you know, we live in such an interesting world of modern age of fandom, you know, of all this interesting stuff on telly and movies and computer games and comics. Um, because when I got to Texas, we lived in Texas, they had not one, but two monster movies every Saturday afternoon. I mean, like, I mean, you know, how good is that? I mean, <laughs> you know, I've been researching Texas for another comic at man. It's done a lot of wrong in its past. You know, don't get me wrong, but a lot of right that it's done in its present is to, um, have a creature double feature. And, and I remember, Going, we were on holiday near the near the Alamo of all places, and I remember watching the the Terror of Mecha Godzilla um, yeah. in black and white, and then a tarantula double bill. So that was awesome. Um, not strictly comic, but um, oh, and just I'll, I'll throw in also um, just alongside 2000 AD. Anyone researching British comics or any younger people who always kind of like, oh, why are those old people always going to 2000 AD? For attitudes-wise, they should also research the other, some of the other comics done by the same people. So Misty, obviously the girls' comic at the time, and Battle, mm. um, which is, you know, all these things were to the normal genres, um, what punk rock was to just normal pop music. It was, it was, you know, Battle, if you read like Hammer of Hellman Division or, these, or the Rat Pack, I mean, they're deeply anarchic, subversive, um, a bit like Blazing Combat was, you know, in the 60s and that sort of, you know, the Frank Rosetta-covered comics, um, a bit like Weird War Tales too. They're deeply subversive and really interesting. So I think that was just right for the times, actually, all that stuff. Yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah, no, it sounds like you've been on quite a journey um, with your with your first comics. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, they're, they're yeah. so, you know, I mean, and especially when there's nothing else to compete, um, you know, I think if I was... If I had that or Fortnite these days, well, what would I what would I be doing with my time? But you know, they yeah. they burnt extremely bright these ideas, and you can sort of pick them up anywhere. And you know, and, and deeply, you know, in, in battle, you know, following the you know so much of Britain's sort of myth that tells itself is about this sort of Second World War and all that sort of stuff, and which is you know did some rightfully sound stuff, but arguably hasn't culturally moved on from that. And yeah. but you know, but to then be surrounded by all that, but then be reading stories that sort of sympathise. Um, with some sort of put upon German platoon, um, a bit like you know Cross of Iron or some of those other movies do. It's, it's very subversive and very interesting. And I think there's, I think there's quite a lot of people who've grown up on that. <laughs> I'm not just sort of making that as an excuse, yeah. but to excuse myself. But, um... <laughs> but no, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, now uh, heading back uh, to to the cottage, um, and your family asks you, what's the funniest comic that you've read? So I think, um, I think it's got to be Preacher, um, and I think Garth Ennis is fantastic, and I like Garth Ennis when he's doing just you know, just down down Ennis action, you know, is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there is a dark humour there always, and then Preacher mm-hmm. he dialed it up. So I think the backstories, you know, I think just I think just taking the Mickey out of cultural tropes like the Zanfon du Sangre, you know, the, the kind of gothy vampires. Um, I think the the backstories were so over the top and colourful. You know, Frankie Toscani, the mob, the slightly um, the mob torturer who was missing various bits, um, was just fantastic. And also, and credit to Amazon, you know, translated very well to telly. I think um, yeah. so. I think Preacher's awesome. Um, I think um, I think they, he, 
I think what else? I think one thing, actually, one thing we, I really enjoy about my current, you know, the current running story worlds is, um, so I supervise some of the comics and sort of, um, you know, co-write some of them. And, and one of the, and one of the sort of, we work on Slack, me and one of the artists, you know, the sort of messaging app yeah. to sort of show our, mm. um, just communicate with each other in the day. And, and like, you know, just sometimes it's just, it's just funny. It's just really funny. I, you know, I don't know if this is how much of you have to be there here, but I, I drew a pic. I wanted to sort of direct my, direct my um, artist fellow, um, Julian, my mate to sort of say, well, hey, listen, how are we going to, how should this, how should I'm thinking this page in the writing, I'm feeling this page is a bit like this. And I did a quick sketch for the show, the baddie looming above a battlefield, a bit like Goya's Colossus in the old painting. Right. But my the guy's face was exactly the face of um, Erling Haaland, the um, the um, footballer who plays for Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> <laughs> and Julian doesn't know anything about football, so I had to stick a picture of Erling Haaland into the Slack channel to show him. And it's you know it's pretty pretty conclusive actually. <laughs> so it's just, <laughs> it's just fun. Like- yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just fun. I mean, he doesn't look like it, and we might get sued by a very large footballer. So um, <laughs> no, you know, it's but it's it's fun, you know. And I think you can't part of comics you know you've got to, it's it's is is there is should there always be a sense of humor and i don't know i mean not everything we do has a sense of humor for sure but um making yeah. them is funny sometimes i think oh yeah exactly yeah. like even even if the um the content of the comic isn't necessarily meant to be funny um yeah the process can be very funny at yeah. the same time um and and yeah just the exploring of ideas um when you're collaborating um, with somebody else. Well, you have so to have, really I mean, this, in the, so before I did this, I ran a design company, a small design company, and, you know, we worked with various freelancers and some staff and stuff, but we used to have a sort of rule about, you know, whatever language would be, you know, we try not to swear in the studio too much, but we definitely wouldn't sure. swear because it's not nice if there's someone sort of effing and jeffing, you know, while everyone else is trying to work. It's a bit mad, really. Um, um, it's a bit like, it's a bit like sort of someone just, you know, it's a bit like in a pub, if someone drops a glass, you know, everyone turns around, it's like, well, why is that sort of, where's the anger signal coming from? I'm, I'm not, yeah. you know, and, and, and absolutely during brainstorming or design development sessions where we'd be sort of thinking up new stuff, you know, we, there's a real no swearing rule. I mean, it used to be nearly me who broke it all the time because I was getting excitable, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'd have to put money into a thing. And, um, but I, you know, I, th- I think, it, I think the brain needs to be open to come up with ideas, needs to be open and, and humour is part of that. And it's, um, so yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree. That's fantastic. Uh, now moving on to the next question, uh, and that is, what's the scariest comic that you've read? Um, so I think um, one, prin- one principle I think is really interesting, uh, and I'm really fascinated in horror comics and, and horror films. Um, right. And you know, only hope one of our releases is a, is a horror, is a workplace horror comic, and mm-hmm. and hopefully the situation dials up as we go. Hopefully, and also there's a great book by um, Carol Clover, who's a feminist um, sort of cultural theorist called Men, Women, and Chainsaws, and it's all about the fairly extreme horror vengeance films of the seventies. And again, this is so. This section, I think, be careful if you're young or you don't like strong stuff, you know, with people getting hurt in it. Um, mm-hmm. don't read or look at any of the stuff that we're basically going to talk about for the next five minutes, I think. But um, mm-hmm. when you get a bit older, try it out. Um, it's, so Clover's really good, and she, she writes so well on, on some of the basics of horror films, um, including this concept of identification, you know, where we are, the, we are the maniac, you know, from the point of view, holding the hammer or the knife, walking down the corridor looking for our prey, but also where we are the victim and we see that person, from, again, from point of view, first person. So it's the use of first person, 
camera angles, particularly in horror, is really interesting for both making us the victim, obviously running through the forest, um, but also to be the perpetrator occasionally too, because that's an interesting view. So I think one of my scariest horror comics is when in Charlie's War, in Battle Comic, um, is when his mad captain who gets shell shock, Captain Snell, is stalking him back in Britain, stalking young Tommy, who's the... um, Sorry, young Charlie, you know, he's the um, young soldier hero. Um, yeah. And Captain Snell's just looking out the bushes with his mad staring eyes, a bit like Freddy Krueger out from the back of the video cover of, Friday the Th- of, of Nightmare on Elm Street. Mad staring eyes, staring right into us, the viewer. Not anywhere else, not at Charlie, but right at us. And I think that's decidedly terrifying. Um, and, and you don't use it very often, too. And, I, and I, I can't stand comics that sort of have the sort of front, you know, people shown from the front or the side or whatever like that. I think it's... it's it's lazy and news like that. And this for- breaking this fourth wall can only be done, you know, that barrier between us, the viewer and the media, can only be done very seldom. And so in a movie like Come and See, which is a Russian World War II f- film, and I think, that, you know, the clues in that, um, don't watch it if you've got, um, a, a, you know, if you don't like Russian war films, basically. It's pretty tough stuff. But there's an amazing, <laughs> some amazing scenes where the young, the young hero, who's only a boy, um, you know, stares out at us. And it's quite a famous sort of cinematic thing um the director was a child at stalingrad his mum took him across the volga and the burning barges you know so he, he remembered that and he made a film about, roughly about it um i think the i think i've done some quite a lot of research into horror reading other people's sort of phds and, and various sort of psychological stuff and i think there's a state there's a there's a um and i think mark commode on the bbc on his secrets of cinema was very good on this stuff too and he mentions carol clover too and the men women chainsaws um or maybe I mentioned it too. Mark Kamov mentioned it first. I think I'll let. I don't know. Um, but the sense, there's a thing called preparatory sustained awareness, which is basically you know the, the, the sense of fear and adrenaline um, that horror films set you up for for 90 minutes, and it's and it's a role of horror media to make you preparatory sustained and aware and and just ready to jump out of your skin using music and film and texture and and, and brush te- and, and everything like that. So. Um, with that in mind, I'd say something that's also very extreme but great is is crossed by Garth Ennis, which is the you know a dreadful apocalyptic tale of these horrible sort of half human, half sort of maniacs, um, which the world becomes, and there's a bands of survivors of us so often. And and Garth Ennis just has a very very simple storytelling device of tell people what to fear, keep telling them that every other page, and then mm-hmm. at some point that's going to happen to someone around page 25. <laughs> it's just wow. dreadful. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. dreadful, but brilliant. Um, I didn't think everyone else wrote the rest of the story. I mean, he wrote a great other story um, about sort of, oh, it must have been about sort of two, four years in, he wrote the sort of outbreak story. And, and one of the best pieces of writing he did, I think, was writing Gordon Brown, who used to be United Kingdom's prime minister. Um, mm. Gordon Brown sort of slightly sort of trying to deal with the outbreak of these zombie, you know, this zombie epidemic. And it's brilliant. It's so good. And it, he <laughs> writes it just as he would. He's like, Oh, I don't know. Um, oh, please tell me. Um, what do you think I should do? He's asking his you know, chief of staff or his, you know, his SAS bodyguards. He's, Oh, what, what do you think we should do? And <laughs> just like, Oh God. Um, so yeah, I mean, certainly. And I think what's interesting about crossed, and I'll just sort of finish this. Cause I think this is, I don't get many opportunities to sort of like, <laughs> herald such media as this because it's a little bit unfashionable but it makes us um it's media that makes us culpable in the crimes that we see as viewers and i think that's what's really interesting about it because we're kind of reading you're watching a horror film we're watching something because you probably want to be scared or see something scary 
Yeah. And that act of being then confronted with, that I want something scary to happen. Um, well, what do, well, suddenly, who are you? You're not just a sort of voyeur, you're a perpetrator. And mm. that is written massively large in the movie Hostel, which I think is fantastic. It gets yeah. a bad write-up because it's associated with so many other poor remakes. And, 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 yeah, and, sure. and, and It was the original. <laughs> it was the original. And I think the, it changes gear just in, in general cinematic timing brilliantly. But, it, but it, at the end, you know, the, the, the tragedy is of the hero and that we have kind of become the hero at the end because we wanted it all to happen. Um, and as he walked, as yeah. the hero is, is birth or rebirth, so are we in sort of, oh, my gosh, um, <laughs> I've got to go out into the street now after this movie. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I think horror is fantastic. And, um, and it's great to see such good, lots, of, lots of good horror at the top of their sales chart. So, obviously, Tinian, you know, James Tinian, the writer, and various others writing fantastic horror stuff. And that's, that's going back, that's, that's busting out the sort of superhero stuff a bit, you know, into the top of the sales chart. So that's, that's got to be good for comics and, and storytelling. I hope so. Yeah. Because um, horror is really difficult. Um, I, I think horror and comedy are the most difficult to, to write, aren't they? And they, yeah. They've kind of got similarities between them, even though they're kind of opposite emotions. Hard, um, hard, to, do, hard to do in the... In a, in a periodical, in a 22-page pamphlet, which is yes. possibly why you see a little more in sort of Japanese um, comics, mm, you know, um, yeah. Junji, what's his name, you know? Um, Junji Ito. Yeah, Ito. Um, and, and The Ring, I mean, The Ring is, The Ring was actually the, the thing I was going to say has genuinely scared me to read. I couldn't I couldn't keep reading it after page 57. You know, it's just too scary. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah. okay. Cool. Uh, now, uh, moving on to my favourite question, and that is, what is your favourite cover? Favourite cover, yeah. Um, and I've, I've never had so many arguments about, should the cover be done by the same person who draws the inside? But everyone <laughs> yeah. I know has got an opinion on this, and, and especially people who don't do anything to do with <laughs> comics, don't even read comics. So I'm not going to, I mean, I think both. I think sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Exactly. So, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And an example of it, an example of it working with um, a different artist um, is I think the eagle dread, and some of these, Sam, you mentioned you'll put online, but I, I might put, uh, we'll, you know, we'll work out when the right time to put these up is, but we'll I'll probably put some on our yeah. story world's Twitter, and um, because you know some of these are just glorious to link to, you know. Um, so the eagle, so the um, the eagle comics do these collections of Judge Dread um, mm-hmm. weeklies. They collect them into sort of American style periodical, you know, thirty page periodicals um, in the eighties and nineties, and and so the eagle, so collection number twenty three, which is through this. Um, story called the Apocalypse War of a war with the equivalent Soviet city um, was a fantastic cover where Judge Dredd and um, Brian Bolland, the artist, the artist is wonderful, you know, the tightest black ink operator I think in in comics ever. He wrote the Killing Joke. You know, people will know him from writing the Killing from drawing the Killing Joke um, and spending yeah. spending his sweet time doing that. I think he's, and he's great to listen to. There's 2008. He's done tons of great podcasts. So if you can listen to Brian Bolland and Dave Gibbons and Mike McMahon, some of these British, you know, the golden generation of British comic talent, um, talking about their craft, that really is quite a glorious thing to listen to. Um, and Brian Bolland's graphical sense, like Dave Gibbons, actually, is extremely strong. And so, yes, there was a masthead for the cover um, with Judge Dredd Master, but everything else they've done, this sort of Soviet graphics, he's redone Dredd's uniform, so it's sort of Soviet looking. And it's just so, it's very iconic and very, Super strong, and, and you know, Dread is not about superheroes. It's, it doesn't cock a snook at superheroes, but it's not about superheroes. But actually, that cover I think utilizes 
some of the best of superhero graphic design and visual design, which is, you know, superbly striking costumes, um, which, you know, dread, the dread world slightly eschews, but um, not on that issue. That, that issue is nailed on um, that cover. And then the second cover I think is amazing is Electra Assassin, um, which is as close vote for actually the sort of like most, um, you know, um, underrated actually, because I don't think people talk about Electra Assassin in the same way that other golden age or, or you know, the sort of Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, they, those eighties comics get talked about. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening under that epic label at Marvel. Um, yeah. and Vertigo rightly gets a lot of good attention for that sort of, you know, sidecar, cool sidecar to the big label. Um, Mm. stuff but i think epic did early just early great work and so electro assassin's an amazing story bill sinkiewicz and um frank miller writing it i mean just truly amazing artwork and and the art and the, and the cover is so good because it's got it's it it isn't a, a bit from the story and it's not just a sort of poster shot it's a sort of imagined scene where obviously the book is Electra sort of fighting shield but not a you know, flipping CGI modern version of Shield. It's a really sort of it's more akin to a sort of CIA <laughs> in the seventies sort of type of Shield. And so you've yeah. got all these sorts of safari hunters, and it, and, it, and it just had they they've caught Electra. She's dead. They're holding her head up a bit like they've caught a tiger in the sort of like an old Empire British Empire tiger hunt. Proper. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. And you've got these sorts of like ten sort of spooks all in these sorts of fatigues, and it's sort of a Shield annual recon death hunt. And it's just like it's an amazing piece of. Um, world building that isn't in the comic. You can imagine that happening another time if there's a parallel comic. Um, visually, it's fantastic. It's stuck. It's stuck out in black and white. I think at the time there's a British indie magazine called Speakeasy um, about comics, and so I, I remember seeing it at the time. And my mum got it for me for Christmas in 1986. Got all eight episodes, and and I read them in my great auntie's house. And I mentioned I, I'm not sure she she would she worked out the COE SOE, which is the spies in the war. Um, you know, but like all of them, she's like an administrator and didn't necessarily have anything on a record, but she had a pretty sizable samurai sword hanging above one of the doorways. So I'd like to think that's a sort of connect. Yeah. Yeah. We never quite got to the, never (laughs) quite got to the, um, I mean, I think it might've been a present from a friend who'd had it surrendered to them or something like that, you know, or something like that. But you know, the fact that there's sort of electro assassin being devoured down there, um, sort of like two meters from this, I think wasn't entirely without design, but, um, yeah. Anyway, so. Electro Assassin, very, very good. As was any, any single one of Bill Shinkovitz's covers, I think. As well, on yeah. top of that, yeah, Anyone, of course. Yeah. Well, no, that's a really good one. And I, I encourage everyone, I mean, to look at both of these covers, but the, this Electro Assassin one, I hadn't come across it before that particular cover. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're not intrigued by the story there, then, yeah, and, and all the <laughs> I other, don't know what's going to draw you in. And all the other covers, because a couple of them were heroes, you know, were hero right. covers, um, but a couple of them were just Gloria, you know, just amazingly, um, you know, her and Garrett, the agent who she'd had a sort of on off sort of slightly really dodgy thing with, um, you know, embracing in a big sort of metal heart with bullet holes. And now this is very, in the middle of the eighties, none of this had been sort of shown before. And this is at the same time as Frank Miller was sort of, um, pushing the adult qualities of the dark Knight. you know, Watchmen was kind of being considered all this sort of stuff. And so actually for them to take this, um, traditional, you know, female ninja character who wears wet, who wears red um, and have her sort of in these quite iconoclastic sort of graphic design um, yeah. things was really interesting and really showed like this is different everyone this is on a comic shelf that would have looked so different on a comic shelf in you know comic showcase or early forbidden planet or wherever it would have been in the, in the 80s 
Um, and I just think credit to him because, um, yeah, because it's, it's hard to do things that are different. And I think that's that's a very good Absolutely. example. Yeah, yeah. That's a great example. Really good. Um, fantastic choices there, Max. Uh, now, uh, moving on to our next question, another favourite of mine, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Um, meaningful to me as regards comics and my influences on me as a person now working comics would be, uh, well, it is 2000 AD and Pat Mills especially. And it's just one thing that Pat Mills has said because he's, he's such a font of knowledge and amazing experience and all the rest of it. Um, he's he's, the, he's a sort of one of the co-creators of sort of 2000 AD and of so many of the characters who've sailed on it um, yeah. for our American listeners. Um, but... Um, and and really, his writings on Muse on his own website, he writes really well. Any any aspirant, you know, creators or writers, read everything Pat Mills has written on his website. It's very generous with his advice. Um, and he writes about your Muse, and your Muse, I always thought was the the thing, the wind in your sails, the thing that gets you out of. It's not, but it's the thing for internally. It's it's the reason why internally you do what you do, and that helped me to decide that the one for Story Worlds was um, a sense of fantastic subversion. Because with all of our stories to talk about the world in some sort of way and ask a question about the world, be it colonialism or you know America's um, origin myth or whatever, and you know the sword and the six shooter is a, a blood drenched you know samurai vengeance western um, coming out in January, and that's but that's about why you know this is a country that still puts up with school shootings, and we want to talk about that, um, mm-hmm. not in issue one, but you know we'll get there, um, <laughs> yeah. and you know <laughs> steady, um, but you know. But this sense of fantastic subversion is really what we want to be about. Um, and so I think he's, I found that very in- inspirational from all his work, but also his ideas on Muse, putting that into um, that. I think the, um, I think subject wise, I think there's two really interesting things from the 80s. Uh, one was brought to life, which is against Alan Moore and um, Bill Sinkovitz, which was basically an investigation into a whole load of CIA um, mucking about and, and assassinations um, through the you know 60s, 70s, 80s, sponsoring the you know sponsoring dictators in order to kind of crush communism, um, and it's just really well done. Um, very much wears its heart on its sleeve. Quite Oliver, it's quite kind of pre Oliver Stone conspiratorialism, you know, conspiracy right. stuff um, mm-hmm. before after Platoon when Stone sort of slightly changes tunes and stuff. But I think. Um, yeah, I think it's great. As is, as at the time, also another really interesting political sort of anthology. And so I think anthologies are, are great. Um, was called R. If anyone can find a copy of it, it's called R. Sounds like I'm at a dentist. It's A R R R G G H H. And it's um, the British government, the Conservative government, right wing government in the 80s, brought in a thing called Clause 28 into schools, which meant the teachers couldn't promote um, anything positive about um, homosexuality. And so this comic was basically sort of saying, well, this isn't right. And we're going to get tons of writers. And at the time, you just had really lots of tons of great writers before they all fled to the, you know, work in the US. Um, They managed to get tons of interesting people doing interesting short stories or short ideas on this. Um, Mm. And I thought that was pretty cool. I think it was was quite an eye opener for me. You know, I was about to start secondary school when I read that. And it's like, so comics can do this too, as much as, you know, tell stories about whatever future sold genetic soldiers and stuff like that um not that you know not the 2000s and noddy comic as we've sort of underlined here but um but if it's called <laughs> the, the clause 28 comic move the dial quite a lot to sort of say look here's what you can all, we can also talk about um yeah. so yeah that's that's that 
That's fantastic. And yeah, yeah, it sounds like that one in particular came at a time, um, obviously, when you were trying to form your own thoughts um, and, and that obviously informing you that, yeah, this this isn't right. <laughs> you shouldn't, yeah, you shouldn't be it's, doing it's, something like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, luckily, I'd like to point out that due to my upbringing and general sensibility, I'm pretty sure yeah. that it wasn't right. Yeah, Although, yeah, in the first place, anyway. Having said, right. that, having said yeah. that, you know, general, you know, whatever, I mean, it's... Um, but but also that the thing that the thing I was into, which was comics, had an opinion, yeah. Rather than just being some yeah. sort of vanilla thing about some superheroes or Batman or you know Electra mm. sort of you know moving quicker than the CCTV cameras can catch her, um, which mm. is brilliant, isn't it? But it's not. Yeah. But watching Frank Miller do a really interesting thing about um, sort of homophobia, anti-homophobia, and anti and, and sort of attitudes in comics and macho sort of Robocop type stuff to homophobia is is, is interesting. You know, um, he's had a you know, he's been interpreted in many different ways since about his views on um, immigration and war on terror and everything else like that. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, everyone have a look at that. I think that's, I think his work on ARG is amongst many of many interesting bits of work in that comic. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Mm. Um, now, uh, moving on to uh, our uh, next question, um, and that is, uh, what's the most underrated comic that you've read? So I, so I'll just say, and thanks for humouring me. I've done quite a lot of answers for these ones, but I think it's probably just. I think you know what? When I listen to these sorts of things, quite right. someone, when someone picks one you don't like and it's banged on for like five minutes, you're like, oh, you're all right. <laughs> I didn't like that the minute you said it, and you're not going to convince me in a five minute podcast. So you know, um, or five five minutes of entry in a podcast. Um, so um, obviously, uh, well, I think Crossed is really good, um, and. Um, I would say, especially "Wish You Were Here" by Cy Spurrier is is great. Um, obviously, the Ennis ones get the, get a lot of plaudits, but I think "Wish You Were Here" is really, really. I'm not going to say fun. It's really hectic, and don't read it if you're under eighteen. But um, yeah, it's great. Um, and then there's a story in 2008 called "Love Like Blood," which was sort of one of those ones which you know, there's, there's 2008 entered a like many comics sort of thing that had a difficult 90s and 2000s, I think. Um, but this story, I think, was just really good graphically. It's Fraser Irving, who I think is a fantastic artist and always one of my favourite artists. Um, really quite genuinely interesting artist. Um, and John Smith wrote the script, and it's just a vampire versus werewolf story, but a sort of slightly Romeo and Juliet take on it. And and why not? It's great. You know, that should be on telly. You know, if there's one thing out of everything I've mentioned here, it should be on telly. Um, cross very late at night, obviously. <laughs> um, love Like Blood. Um <laughs> It's, it's great, you know. Um, and then finally, um, a a um, Japanese comic. Um, so yes, there's you know there's there's um, in the samurai tradition there's um, you know Lone Wolf and Cub obviously is amazing, and as is Vagabond and a whole bunch of other ones. But um, Shiguri, um, and that's um, Shig S H I G U R U I. Can never say it. Shiguri. Um, it's fantastic, and it's a it's a, it's a, it's an, an event staged by a very cruel king, by a very cruel daimyo, you know, feudal lord, rather not a king, not the shogun, but a cruel lord. And these mm. these people, these strange, weird and wonderful people, turn up and are surprised at the nature of this event that they turn up to. And it's just, it's just off the map, basically. <laughs> it really is. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've seen some of the covers. Yeah, bloody it's hell, pretty out there. It is, it is, and it's amazing. <laughs> but it's yeah, but also some of these sort of attention to detail and the sword craft stuff is also really great. And they really going to the different schools and the training and so all the sort of historiography, but not as deep sort of cultural history as the Lone Wolf and Cub, but um, 
but that's no, fantastic you know and, and you know if you're into that sort of to sort of samurai fight you know wrong and fighting each other in the samurai style then um yeah that's absolutely one um it's hard to find in the uk um yeah, so right. when mango rock come back online because they've gone off for a bit um so yeah it'll be somewhere but it's, it's great but again don't read it if you're under 18 or certainly don't say i sent you yeah right yeah, definitely <laughs> um, parent, i'm gonna have some people's irate so who's gonna mums and dads knocking on my door yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure we will be fine. Um, It'll be my apocalypse, actually. It'll be, it'll be angry parents' apocalypse. I've got to how will you outrun all this? It, that's it. That's what? it. You're gonna have PTAs coming 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 up the wazoo. Well, I guess, um, yeah. That's it. Text ones, I know. I'm telling. That's that's, that's a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh yeah. Definitely, definitely. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, no, they, they, those are really interesting choices. Um, two of which, like both of which, I hadn't come across myself. Mm. Um, so um, I'll, I'll definitely um, be um, trying to at least at least read Love Like Blood. Um, that sounds really yeah. um, interesting. And uh, uh, I didn't I didn't mention this in in our preamble before we we, we start the episode, but um, one of my other books is Access Denied. Um, right. which is kind of a, it's a, it's a retelling of Romeo and Juliet between um, androids, an android on Mars and uh, a human that's from earth that comes yeah, to Mars. Nice. Uh, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I think Romeo and Juliet must have the most retellings of all time, mustn't it? Um, Cause there are so many retellings of it, but I think, it's it's almost its own genre in a way. I mean, you've got genres within a genre there, haven't you? Um, yeah, it's, you know, and it's, and it's bold, but, uh, bold and brave yeah. to, you know, mature, and I haven't done it, um, to write about love, I think. You know, I think that's yeah. you know, sort of signals that uh, you've been writing a bit, it's mature and it's, it's good. So, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, there's a bit of, there's, there's, some, there's some sentiment and feeling in one of the ones we've done. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, well, it, it, it'll, it'll come in time, Max. Yeah, don't I know, worry. yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't worry. Worry. <laughs> really look at the sun a lot more, don't I? With my eyes wide. Oh, yeah, right. That's it. That's yeah, it. Got the tear guns working. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, now, um, coming on to our penultimate question, uh, and that is what comic would you recommend to a friend who's never read comics? So, as your chart, so when you interviewed Charlie Adlard, which was great, um, Thank you. there's not enough of that around i think um that was great um he said he suggested a non-comic-y comic um and so with that in mind and there's also a book anyone interested in sort of media and when things work and when things don't work there's a book called the Hitmakers, um and the Hitmakers is really interesting and and a guy basically if you can't be bothered to read it one thing he says is that you know things when things really work they work because they're a familiar surprise very hard to do something Mm. totally brand new but actually if you do something that's like you know, you know, whatever aliens. You've got is a jo- sense of the formula. Sense of the formula. If you've got a sense of what it is, you know, um, you know, if Leon is um, a hitman with a heart, you know, or or whatever. Show my age now, but sort of nineties yeah. movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I think familiar. So a familiar comic. Um, so for a normal person. So basically, if I was suggesting it on, on this island. Um, if I had to placate a normal person, um, I'd give them something by Mark Miller because um, I think he's brilliant. And I think he is, mm-hmm. you know, he writes this stuff for normal people, um, you know, kick-ass, wanted, you know, um, they're written for normal people. 
you know, and I think they're great. And, and he's got such a pure sense of sort of, you know, honest, pure storytelling. And I think that's why, you know, Jupiter's legacy, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, um, and I think that I like the telly too. It's just, it's, it's great. Um, so, you know, what's not to like. So Mark, so for something for a normal person, it'd be, it'd be something by Mark Miller. Um, um, for somebody a bit nutty, you know, if basically if, if, if an angry man who could read English, an angry man or, or woman, you know, hopped up, not, not brain melted by the AI, but, you know, just hopped up enough, yeah. emerged in my little croft. And um, we'd, I'd give them, I think I'd give them, um, I don't know if it's a good idea, actually, but I'd give them The Punisher in the beginning by Garth Ennis because that'll chill you. I mean, that'll calm me down. You know, there's so much sort of action in that. Yeah, it's such a brilliantly written action comic. Um, and the, it's so good anyway. And I've got original art from it too. So, you know, if I'm not on a watch list, I am now, basically. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, wow. it's Louis LaRosa's um, pencils. Um, now, am I going to... Yeah, Louis LaRosa's pencils. Um, and I, is it, I forget his inks, which is terrible. But anyway, I've got four pages of the art. It's amazing. Um, wow. So I need a big enough sort of room to put it up in because it can't really go in the living room. Um, but anyway, it's, and it's, it's, but it's classic and it's brilliant cinematic Garth Ennis storytelling. Some people don't like that. So our comics aren't cinematic. Their comics, well, yeah. they are pictures that you read in time. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, and he is just, there's masterful, you know, quiet pages, loud pages, you know, there's moments between the panels, just fantastic. So I think that's brilliant. Um, yeah. And I, you know, and if, and if we didn't get an angry nut to come to the island, I'd be reading it anyway, just to keep myself in that preparatory <laughs> yeah, sustained awareness. <laughs> absolutely too right too right um if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse which would it be in first position um uh, you know what i'll do i'll do bronze bronze position um would be um lone wolf and cub because it's really because there's tons of it yeah and i could make a little wall right. um or <laughs> fashion a, fashion a raft if i had to <laughs> not like and i'd never burn it so don't worry about that um but um There'd be enough, actually, you could probably set up your own new currency in your sort of archipelago of sort of like different chapters from Lone Wolf and Cub. Um, but no, because it's about it's about family and questing and hope. And I think, ultimately, if you were anywhere unfortunate enough near a situation like all this, you'd need hope. Um, and ideally, you'd have some family around you and um, and you'd be questing. So, yeah, I think that's what that would be. Um, the second thing is um, I would take Dave Gibbon's book, um, you know, how comics work because it's a really, really good overall, if you're interested in comics and you've never even seen mm-hmm. one, especially if you haven't seen one before, yeah, and I think it's yeah. I've read, I, I mean, he's, it was really useful for me reading it, you know, at the sort of my age now, but even on pan, even on um, bubble, you know, um, thought, um, speech bubble positioning and how you kind of, you know, where to include that and how to incorporate that. Yeah, all this sort of stuff that you think you know, but actually just reading from his massive sum of knowledge so I would take this book and I'd wrap it up in lead and, and plastic because if I and my 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 croft didn't survive, this book should, so that someone else can pull it out in another thousand years' time when society rebuilds, basically. So that's my sort of it's a bit like the seed bank they keep, you know, they keep all the sort of sweet but I mean <laughs> Dave Gibbon whoops, sorry, you have to bleep that. That's my um that's my <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we, all right, let's keep both. Let's keep the seed bank and Dave Gibbons um Dave Gibbons' book, um, and then finally, just because it, it might make me sad if I read it, because it reminded me of the good old days when food and sort of Japan was there. But I, I do I'd love to go to Japan when I did go. Um, 
relatively recently, and The Solitary Gourmet um, by Kasumi and Taniguchi um, is wonderful. And it's about a businessman who finds himself sort of in between meetings or sort of at conferences or say after a sales thing. And he wanders down mm. the street and he thinks, oh, well, that smells good. And he wanders in somewhere. And, he, and it's a sort of ode to these fun, wonderful dishes and these, and these interesting places where he goes. Um, and, it's, and it's drawn in that sort of Japanese style of it's drawn fast and slow. It's drawn detail, macro and micro of the absolutely you know, rendered better than Rembrandt would plate of noodles. Yeah? Um, but then it's also got him just walking on the street quite jauntily, drawn very expressive open free manga <laughs> style. So that sort of um, fast and slow sort of manga sort of thing, which we don't do over here. Um, and that's a great book because it's about enjoying nice food, which I dare say after, <laughs> after a full herring and occasional um, seal diet, I think that wouldn't be much, you know, that'd be quite good. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, happy to provide you with all of that. And, and going along with those, uh, what weapon, tool or useful item? Would you like to take with you as well? Well, I'd like to follow um, Max Brooks, who really has figured this out and really did. So credit where it's due. And, um, and I've read so much about this, but you know, all this speculative rubbish I've read, all this stuff. Max Brooks totally nails it. With the weapon you need is a two-two Ruger rifle. So it's got decent range and the ammo is really light. Yeah, and it's right. like that. Like, duh! You don't need anything else. The two-two bullet is lighter than the. NATO round, it's light, obviously light an AK round, and it will do the same thing. Um, unless people are heavily armoured, but then we, we now, I'm, I'm now overstepping my, <laughs> getting a bit into it. Anyway. <laughs> well into it, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so he's not wrong there. So, um, and, but we live in Britain, so what I would have is some bolt cutters, because I think most of the stuff we need is going to be locked up in some way, um, not with enough guile to stick it behind a sort of time safe or anything like that, but just a sort of padlock right. and chain and fence and window and bolts and stuff. And I think most stuff we need, like food, weapons. I think I think gun cases held by um, – I've got a sort of small list, obviously, in the back of my mind about where these things might exist in various different countries. But they're all probably mm. breakable by a bolt cutter. So bolt cutter. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Brilliant. Good, that is a good choice. <laughs> And that's uh, that's a, that's an original one that hasn't come up before. Well, it's very smart. You're quite right. Yeah. Um, if you can't get into somewhere, and in most places will just be chained up with a padlock, yeah. won't they? Yeah. Then, uh, yeah. A bolt cutter is exactly what you need. This is. I, I haven't. I don't actually owe one. So you can. So the nice thing about all this is, that these are realms of these are sort of speculative fantasy tools for you know yeah. for chatting, aren't they? Um, which is great. Oh, if, if I actually had one, I think that. would be a slight loss of innocence in a way that would sort of show it'd be like actually having a proper like Ruger 2-2 at home I mean you're like well okay what's that for well that's for when I've got to defend my home and actually living like that is you know sustained preparatory awareness as with possibly having me having a bolt cutter at home so I'll let you know when I get one <laughs> <laughs> fantastic max and uh yeah no thank you so much for sharing your comics with the apocalypse today it's been a real pleasure that's great well thank you very much for having me sam it's been lots of fun thank you Absolute pleasure. And for, for the listeners, one more time, uh, where can they find you online? Um, yeah, storyworldsmedia.com. Perfect. Um, and then uh, do you have any plans to take Storyworlds to any cons anytime soon? I, yeah, I mean, when they're back and running, I need to have a, I need to have a whole look at that. I mean, I really want to sort of get some, some, we've got some, you know, some of our artists, some of our writers are doing that anyway. Um, 
Obviously, I'll give them some issues, give them some stuff to talk about a bit. And then, yeah, figure out the right ones to go to. I mean, I'm, a big thing to do for me is, um, as much as meeting fans, is to meet, um, connect with, you know, creators, you know, and, and new new up-and-coming talent, really, because I'm really, we've got an, the anthology we've got coming out in the new year is, you know, new writers, new artists looking at our world of fab, of fabrication printers and stuff, um, which is loads of fun. Just to find more people who can help do that sort of work would be, be really cool. So, yes, I, mean, I, I need to plan that as and when they come online. Excellent. Fantastic. And, uh, of course, we can follow uh, Story Worlds online, so everybody go check out Story Worlds and we can uh, hear about that when it as and when it happens um but other than that max it's been a real pleasure and uh yeah hopefully our paths will cross uh con at some point in the future great very good well you'll see you'll see me with um the bolt cutters but i'll have, I'll have the sort of like the briefcase yeah. size ones like the long ones that. no that'll just be obvious yeah good all right sam <laughs> nice very good nice. smart excellent thanks max yeah cheers see you later see you soon. Bye. take care bye bye, bye. bye. thanks again to max for being on comics for the apocalypse it was an absolute pleasure if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use. That's not only will let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. And if you'd like to check out Max's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. Um, And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.